Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcasts. G'day and welcome to an extra specialist edition of Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber Musical Comedy Podcast, which is 50% agreeable, 100% correct. And speaking of witches, I'm Aaron, and I'm joined as usual by C-3PO's discount cousin, CR3DO, but you know him as Evan the Metal Man. It's my co-host, Evan the Metal Man. How you doing? Hey, how you going? Good, thank you. All right, we're going to jump right in because guess what? What? It's time to play the music because we've got a seriously epic legendary diva in the studio today and he's here to show us that not all heroes wear capes. For instance, some heroes wear mohawks while serving Spock and Spider-Man the middle finger, while other icons are dinosaurs building highly advanced yet prehistoric costumes. And some heroes have their hands up a Muppet's ass. Because this guest has all that and more. Having hit Hollywood hopping as a special effects Jedi with many of your childhood favorites, such as Poltergeist, Gremlins, Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock, Robocop 2, Star Wars Return of the Franchise, and the family hit House, as well as working for Master Spielberg on his long-forgotten low-budget classic, E.T. The Extraterrestrial, what? And from these monstrous otherworldly adventures, this legend's magnificent hands grabbed the attention of the late and truly great Jim Henson, letting him have a new cue towards a career as a writer, producer, performer, designer, and director of several dozen Muppet productions, including the upcoming Muppets Haunted Mansion, Muppets Now, Muppets Tonight, Sid the Science Kid, The Movie, Muppets Wizard of Oz, Muppets from Space, plus today's rollicking adventure on the high seas. You see, what I'm trying to say is this. Please welcome to the Torture Chamber, a creative icon, a special effects wizard, a Muppet master, and ship's captain, the punk on bus who stood up and said, do you know what this world needs? Muppets Bohemian Rhapsody. And 128 million viewers later proves that he was right. So please give your warmest, most Aussiest oi g'day to Hollywood's most beloved creature teacher, Ewok Wrangler, and Turkey Hollower, whose resume reads like a 45-year-old virgin's DVD shelf. Shout out to Evan. Known for killer <laughs> red carpet fashions that can only be described as electric mayhem, it's Mr. Kirk R. Thatcher. Good eye. Welcome to the torture chamber. Wow, I, I, I thank you. I, I want you to do all my introductions. I'll just beam you in from Oz and jeez, uh, that do. is well researched and I'm I'm blushing. Awesome. See? I don't know how because considering you've worked with like everyone under the sun, everyone knows you and loves you, you only need to mention to one of our guests that we've got Kirk Thatcher coming on and they're like, holy shit, how did you get him? Um, I tell you, that's all right. I'm in with his best friend. What? What the hell? <laughs> It's such a nice guy. Just ask nicely. That's all. I just sit around. Yeah, I just sit around at home waiting for the the Zoom to ring. And you know, you guys. But call. no, I, I couldn't even fit half of your resume in that introduction. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. I'm now out of breath reading. That, I think that's the longest intro I have done. Have you ever thought about taking a day off, maybe in proverbial lazy town? Oh God! Wow, you are good. I take way too many days off. I, I wish I had more work. Actually, I uh, I said like the first ten years of my career. Well, the first ten were all over the place with you know the lot of stuff, yeah. and then the next ten were all Muppets. But yeah, it's uh, 
I wish I had more days working, but yep. I enjoy the time off yep. too. You look like you enjoyed being on the ocean. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Or is that just a fashion statement? It's a bit of both. Well, this is a pun, you know, a visual pun because Kirk and Captain. So I, I started it at Comic Con, gosh, years ago, like 15, 20 years ago, because A, it was a visual pun, and B, it helped people find me. If you've ever been to Comic Con or any kind of convention where there's a you know more than 50,000 people uh it helped people spot me when I was trying to find them or they're trying to find me so it just kind of became a branding thing and I yeah. wear I've worn Hawaiian shirts for 30 years like I thought I don't have a Hawaiian shirt but I do have a Kiwi shirt oh nice very similar and uh Evan is um Kiwi born so um oh so you say oh, fish and chops, chops. yeah yeah chops, we go yeah. down we get fish and chops from the dairy all the time yeah yeah, you, you say I'm well researched, and yet you pull that one out. Bringing us into reality, you know, we're in this. Um, uh, I'm in WA, so we're one of the very few places in the world that do not have COVID. Period. We've got zero right. cases. Right. right. I think it's us in Tasmania at the moment. Yeah. Um, well, it's because no one goes to freaking Tasmania. Yeah, exactly. No one's going there. I'm half an hour from there, I've never flown there in my life. But yeah, so we're in this. We're in this little bubble at the moment. I've got this. This massive sense of impending doom that you know it's coming it is coming we can't avoid it we can't keep it out forever you know but we keep trying to so yeah at the moment we've yeah we're we're in this part of the world where there's no masks there's no restrictions there's no nothing this is we're we're, we're like two years ago um yeah. so but what we do do is you know we have quarantine hotels if you want to come into the country you you have to quarantine for two weeks um, before you're allowed into the general population and yeah. then i was wondering so if you were to travel to wa you had to quarantine for two weeks with a Muppet. Who would you be able to handle for two weeks straight in a hotel room? Good Lord. Uh, yeah, probably not the ones I like directing because I like directing the lunatics. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah my, like Deadly can get on your nerves after a couple of days. Yeah, Deadly, yeah. I mean, he's queenie. Uh, Pepe's insane and super angsty. Gonzo's nuts. I don't think he could stay still i think it's so like bunsen and beaker where you could just be on the internet and, and learning interesting things and doing experiments with the coffee pot and, <laughs> and you know beaker is very chill and, and bunsen's a kind of a chill guy with a weird brain so i probably probably those two uh would be my first choice and then you get to like Bo Beauregard because he's really slow and he'd probably be fine to just play solitaire <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll pick those i think three. your insurance bill is going to be through the roof with the first two <laughs> Well, yeah, I didn't say they could bring, they couldn't bring gear. If they bring gear, then yeah, that's a pass. Yeah, true. I would pick Gopher because then I would be able to get everything I want. That's literally in his name. He's Well, true. But he couldn't leave either. But I mean, if we're all quarantined, he couldn't go get anything, right? No. I mean, no. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah, see, I would have thought Scooter just, you know. Scooter, yeah. Scooter's good. He's he'll, he'll just keep to himself and just, you know, read a book. Well, he'd be on the phone with his mom. His mom would be calling him every day, driving him crazy. And, you know, <laughs> she's, with, she's with Gary now, and Gary really winds him up. So he'd be, like, yelling at her and then arguing with Gary. So it might be a little too much drama. Yeah. But Bunsen and Beaker have their shit worked out. You know, That's they're true. chill. And, yeah. You know. no. And Bo is, like, you know, Bo's like having a cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just sit over here. Yeah. Probably Bo would be the best choice. Uh, Janice would bring the good part, so. <laughs> yeah, but I think she'd go a little crazy without uh, without uh, Floyd. Yeah, Floyd and Janice would be cool because we just play music. Yeah. You know, I'd bring, I'd bring a guitar, a ukulele, they'd bring, yeah. So there, <laughs> that's a good call too. 
Awesome. All right, now, um, shout out to Tim Doyle. Uh, thank you very much to him for passing on that I had reached out to you. Now, can you tell us what twirly woo means? <laughs> the king of twirly woo. Well, um, Tim gave me that moniker back in the day when we first started working together in that I have a very, uh, you know, imaginative take on stories that always have the weird kind of concept or something that's, you know, silly. And so he, he, he nicknamed me the king of twirly woo because I would say, you know, and then and then this happened and it's completely out of, you know, a normal sitcom. But that's why Dinosaurs wasn't a normal sitcom. Yep. We, we were trying to do stuff that was is why I got along with Jim Henson. We both shared a, a very strong sense of whimsy and, and, and absurdity. And so, uh, you know, so I mean, Python was a huge influence on me, that just sort of absurdist humor, mm -hmm. you know, boarding on Ionesco Ash. So. That is where that came from. That's a moniker given to me by Mr. Tim Doyle. So when he told me to, to ask you that, a million and one things went through my mind, knowing your body of work <laughs> uh, and how out there it is. So it could have been anything, but I know my episode title now, The King of Twirly Woo. Uh, but anyways, we shall move on to metal now. But this week, we're jumping into the slam pit with some punk. Uh, now, given your stature is one of the most iconic punks in cinematic history, and I know this because... <laughs> Being in the punk scene, they were the original quote-unquote stands that I knew of in my life that any time there was even just a punk in a picture or a punk song in a movie, they would watch it to death. And any time you would be at a house party, at least one TV would have on Star Trek Four or Full Metal Jacket or right. um, Sid and Nancy, obviously, but sort of all these movies that, and the young ones, obviously, we, we watched the young ones to death. So you have a reputation as an iconic punk in the scene, uh, second only to Mel Gibson in Father's Day. Uh, and as Tim <laughs> told us a few weeks ago, now that's a really, really deep cut. I don't think... That's a deep, deep cut. I've never... I've seen pictures, but that's it. That's very, very deep. Uh, unfortunately, I did see that movie, but I was an innocent child. I knew no better. <laughs> uh, but anyways, and now obviously you wrote the song I Hate You from Star Trek Four, and later used in Back to the Beach with Annette Funicello and Frankie Avalon. Have yes, you sir. been saving up those eight cent residuals to boldly go where Bezos and Branson went before you? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. I actually have a drawer with every check I've gotten under 20 cents. And I think I've probably got 30, 35 now, you know, two cent, eight cent. <laughs> Makes no sense, pun intended, in that it costs more to mail it to me than the check is yeah. worth. And I just don't know why they don't just let them stack up till at least it's a dollar. But yeah, it's funny. And that's about as much as you get these days. <laughs> Although they still come in. I think I just got a check for something from overseas cable, you know, Star Trek Four. Yeah. So yeah, for the, the little throwaway gig that it was, it's certainly become like an evergreen in terms of tiny residual checks. Yeah, because you had worked on the third film on special effects, hadn't you? Yeah, yeah. I did... Uh, there's a picture of me just surfaced I'd never seen. One of my friends from ILM sent it. I think I put it up on Facebook. It's me working on the uh, Klingon dog oh, wow. that was in Trek 3, the uh, Commander Korg's pet lizard dog. And I, I helped make it and paint it. And, and then I puppeteered it on set. And then I did um, the worms that come out of Spock's coffin. There's a, actually, there's a picture of me in Cinefantastic, a little black and white photo of me with my arm up this worm's head puppeteering with Christopher Lloyd choking it, which he does in the, in the movie. And I'm in a Tyvek suit, which is like a white plastic jump, you know, like jumpsuit. 
because it was covered in methicels. It's just dripping down all over. Yeah, me. we all have a photo like that from our youth. Yeah, with us covered in lube. Yeah. <laughs> Too much information there. Yeah. Okay. Now you chose the album this week. Would you like to tell our listeners what you've chosen and why? Oh, uh, the Toy Dolls. I forget which actual album I chose, but they were a big influence. Which album is it, actually? Uh, a Dig That Groove Baby. Oh, Dig That Groove Baby, right. And, uh, well, they were a huge influence on me. And also, I hate you in that they had that sarcastic, tongue-in-cheek lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, bordering on silly. Uh, the Toy Dolls kind of a deep cut in that they're not super well-known all over the world, like Sex Pistols. Even the Dickies or Dead Kennedys. So uh, when you're like that, their silliness and I mean, absurd and out of the elephant is or out of the elephant is just this really dopey kid song that they covered, but in a punk way. And I I just love that. But also I've got asthma. They just have a lot of fun songs. And uh, it made me, I was what I kind of loved about punk, even the Ramones and the Sex Pistols, that kind of that sarcastic snarkiness, but also uh, it wasn't stupid, like, you know, metal. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's more adult silliness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a, a point of view or an, you know uh, to it and so yeah that's why i picked that album so if you've never heard of it and you want some really fun silly punk I- i'm gonna quickly run through my review when i first saw the cover i was immediately transported back to 1992 when seven-year-old me decided it was a good idea to play with barbie dolls at school the same year i was putting on dresses and playing the witch and evil stepmothers in fairy tale plays which i would also write and bossily direct and instantly, my eyes started to twitch from the childhood trauma. So I hesitantly pressed begin on the Spotify and found a cheeky punk pathetic band and instantly felt right at home, because that's what I am, pathetic, on an average day anyway. But unlike other punk albums we've covered, where traumatic blurry visions of my mohawk days would often leave me with an ounce of regret, three tracks into this 1983 effort and I was filled with three ounces of regret. Why have (laughs) I never heard of this band before? Not even in name. How is this music so fun and catchy and not more widely known? And how the fuck has my life gotten to the point where I find out about this band from Kirk Bloody Thatcher of all people? Holy shit, what even is my life? (laughs) Anyway, where was I? Dougie Gyro was as catchy as herpes, which is on par with every Dougie that I know. And I was worried that Glenda and the test tube baby had arrived prematurely, but it wasn't at all a laboured effort. I found myself singing along up the garden path, but unfortunately it wasn't my garden. Sorry to the old lady down the street. Someone else who took a fun journey was Nelly the Elephant, which I remember from the animated series from the 1980s. The nostalgia is strong in this one. Overall, in the past month, I've regularly revisited this royally rowdy record, and this may shock, but I actually made a concerted effort to pay attention to the lyrics this time. It didn't work. I couldn't bloody understand a single word he said, but that's okay. I ended up deducting half a point for that yesterday after my 24th attempt at this. Music like this is what I love about punk, and it also showcases the disco influence of which I'll fight anybody on. Four and a half stars. Wow. I really enjoyed this album because this is what I always talk about with punk, that it's cheeky, it's short songs about the disillusioned, it's fun, it's in your face, but there's also a disco flavor. 
I, I think what it is is that dystopic future we all saw with nuclear annihilation is like why the fuck take anything seriously like <laughs> let's let's have fun and take the piss out of everything particularly those in power like my my favorite lyric from i hate you which is how i felt growing up not that i was an angry youth but there it was kind of you know burning in the back of my head was the sins of all the fathers being dumped on the sons the sons whichever generation feels i mean now they've got global warming yeah. and and all that but uh global warming seems more like a uh, somewhat an ignorant thing where nuclear annihilation was very very pointed and uh, and so that kind of attitude is like well screw it man we might as well have fun and, and like you said be cheeky mm -hmm. and, and so it really informed that and i think again all the bands i mentioned the dead kennedys and the ramones and all that even the sex pistols had that sense of kind of like you know <laughs> screw you if not i hate yeah. you but you know the yeah. choice of is chew you was in there again to be sort of a funny and a funny word to put in a punk song that you know showed there was a level of i hate to say sophistication but at least education to know what means um but then use it is chew you and i say screw you i don't know that's what was fun about it and again all those bands and other ones really informed that kind of my taste i'm glad you loved it I, i'm very happy to introduce other people no, to I, think, it. I, I don't know how my life has gotten to this point but here we are uh, i haven't like left this house in three four weeks now from lockdown there's a common misconception that punks are just disrespectful or moronic or whatnot but i tell you what if you were to sit down uh, i'm saying this to the people out there who make this judgment sit down with a punk one day over coffee and talk to them about politics and stuff like that yeah. and and you will find some very bloody smart people who are not just book smart they're street smart as well and that's why i i, I talk about you know we drank a lot and slammed into each other and and had a great time and and all that but that's what i really did connect with in the punk scene that they weren't stupid society said they were no they weren't and yeah. we were treated like we were i, I think the energy the frustration and the energy instead of playing sports or whatever it was like slam dancing and you know running around and it you know the whole miscreant criminal thing was really a very very small part of it it was more like kind of giving the finger to the establishment not yeah. like you know you want not a lot of them were anarchists but uh, a lot of nihilists that's it yeah now evan what did you think because i know punk's not entirely your thing yeah well this thing i thought you gave us this album not kirk so i kind of wrote it thinking that you did it oh so there's some offensive comments in here is there no no it's all good but yeah all right so yeah toy dolls what are they formed in 1979 they've put out 15 albums now yeah how have i not heard of them yeah i oh, know shit now when you said you'll give me a punk album i was expecting a lot of you know safety pins in the nose mohawks unwashed denim jackets as angry art student dropouts scream at the world we're also bright orange pants <laughs> so i chucked it on and then oh it's a comedy album this is what happens when you take all the anger out of a punk you end up with a bunch of musicians trying to be funny wow <laughs> I wasn't aware of the toy dolls. I was aware. I wasn't aware that comedy ska punk is, was even a thing, but apparently it is. Yeah. So the only other English comedy band from the 80s that I know of, and that's pretty specific genre, was Bad News, who were the cast of The Young Ones, put a band together and they did two comedy albums as a kind of like a this is Spinal Tap type recording. Again, this is not what the toy dolls are. The toy dolls are a bunch of musicians trying to be funny, not a bunch of comedians playing instruments. Does it work? <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think I've mentioned before, I'm a big fan of Blackadder, Young Ones, Red Dwarf, yeah. Monty Python, all that 70s, 80s era comedy, English comedy. Um, so I get where they're coming from. You know, in, in 1983, while U2 was singing Sunday Bloody Sunday, the toy dolls <laughs> were knocking on your door and running away. Bloody I think I like <laughs> the toy dolls for the same reason that I like Primus. It's their unique 
quirkiness in, and every song tells a story about random characters. So yeah, they're as timeless as a parrot sketch. And just as timeless as they are, they're still bloody going. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's, I didn't even realize that when I recommended you guys and we were talking about it, I looked them up. I'm like, holy crap, they're still, they've yeah. got to be in their 50s or they've got to be in their 60s now, most of them. Yeah. Late 50s um, or 60s. Yeah, as I was listening through, again, I'd never heard of them. I'd never heard any of the songs. And then Nelly the Elephant comes on. I'm like, hang on. Oh, I know this one. <laughs> I've heard this before somewhere. This is a nursery rhyme, I swear. So, of course, I do the research. And yeah, of course, Nelly the Elephant is actually a cover from Mandy Miller, 1956. And if you want a Michael Cerberus segue, always that song appeared in episode 17, season one of Fringe. Nelly the Elephant was in Fringe. I would know that, but I had forgotten that. Ah, you forgot that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the, the toy dolls have been around for so long, they're kind of like the archangels of punk because every time the toy dolls use a kazoo, a scar band gets its wings. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I have to applaud that. Well done. Bravo. Um, and I like your um, parrot sketch one too. That was a, a yeah, that was great. It's yeah. timeless as a parrot sketch. Excellent analogy. He's learning. Yeah. This is only like his, it's like six episodes by now. So oh, good job. Yeah, Ev. but I had to wing a couple. So now in Australia, are you Evo or Ev? Either. Yeah, either. I get called all sorts. I get called Kevin, Bevan. Australian nicknames. It's like either, uh, it's uh, it's either an E or an O. Yeah, know? we generally chuck an O on. Yeah, you know, it's Dave O, yeah. John O. Like, you know, Miko. No, you don't go Miko. But yeah, no. no, it's just, yeah, just Ev, I suppose. Ev, yeah, it's either they clip it or they put an O at the end, I've noticed. I get as a... <laughs> Although Kirk, you can't, I mean, they don't call me Kirko. Kirko, <laughs> That didn't work. No, it's just. Now you'd probably yeah. be the Thatch. Yeah, Thatch. The thou. I was just gonna say what I was Thatch or the Thatch. Or, yeah. or Thatch Man. You know. Yeah. After a six pack of VB, and you're like Thatch Man. <laughs> yeah. Or dude, they they when I was there with Tim in the early '90s, they they liked dude. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude. Hey, dude. I dude. I guess you know because it's very California back then. Now it's kind of everywhere. No, I, I say yeah. dude a lot. Yeah, it's good. I I'm call sorry. my parents dude, and they don't like it. <laughs> Well, it's, it's funny because uh, it's become so ubiquitous yeah. that, I mean, I've seen, you know, African-American women use it for, you know, Chinese women. Like, you know, dude, you can't do, you know, it's just, it's just become the generic, like, you know, just the generic term for anybody. That's it. It's, and it means camel penis. So really, that is a <laughs> universal concept. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anyways, no, no, look, I, I really did enjoy this myself, um, but I didn't know Nelly the Elephant as a nursery rhyme. I did enjoy the blue suede shoes cover and there was like three or four tracks at the end of it i don't know why they were bonus tracks yeah i think they were like extra bonus tracks later on either you heard of the dickies or the, the tickies the dickies d-i-c-k-i-e-s no. they're an la band a punk band that is, is the closest thing i can think of a band with a very you know tongue firmly in cheek uh, they did songs like stuka's over disneyland and uh they did the banana splits theme song as a punk cover like they did nelly oh, okay. yeah and uh, we were just talking about they're very, very, the, the toy dolls are so unique. But the Dickies are probably started around the same time. It'd be interesting to know if the Dickies knew about the toy dolls or vice versa. But uh, that's another band if you kind of like what the toy dolls do. I've, and the Dickies have not been around unless they rejoined and did a tour or something. But uh, they had some good fun, very similar kind of uh, They were formed in 77. So two years before. 
Yeah, a little earlier. Okay. That's why I have a co-host, so I can think while well, he does the, all the researching. <laughs> Although, I mean, back then, it's this is pre-internet, you know, it's it's word of mouth and, and hanging out at the record store if you... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they were local. That was the other thing. They were in LA, or at least California-based bands. So I'd see them at a couple of the clubs that I would And this to. genre, for those at home, is punk pathetic. I'd never yeah. actually heard of this genre. I've never yeah, heard of... I call it cheeky punk, and that's what Wikipedia says, so it must be correct. Wow, never heard that. Yeah, no, I and I looked it up, and there, there there was quite a few bands. Peter and the Test Tube Babies was mentioned, which I always get mixed up with Glenn and the Peanut Buttermen. Which now that we've thrown in Glenda and the Test Tube Babies, I have no friggin' hope. I'm not going to be able to get any of them out. But just still on punk, do you think your punk on street would have survived the blip since you appeared in Spider Man before that? happened before the blip i'm gonna say i'm gonna say no and then he came back and was really confused yeah so he's even more of a punk he was on the street yeah i have a whole backstory about how he ended up being you know at 23 a punk in san francisco being kind of a homeless guy in new york that involves him being like a, a preacher after the spock thing he kind of had did you see the movie um was it Ed about the alien who would touch people and their brains would get sort of filled with all this information? Um, and, um, it, was, uh, it was Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. That's, um, you know, Ed is Matt LeBlanc and the chimpanzee, so you're close. Oh, uh, what was it called? Um, it was yeah, I know what you're it was... talking about. It's, it's not... Um, oh, it's got Ted. No, that's, the, that's Seth no. MacFarlane and the yeah. teddy bear. <laughs> um, Hold on. Simon Pegg, alien. Paul. That's Paul. Paul, yeah, it was one, yes. yeah, Paul. So the idea was that when Spock gave me the, the nerve pinch, uh, I kind of woke up with all these big ideas and that, that aliens were going to help us and became like a street preacher trying to spread the word of like love and we've got to all work together as a planet. And after about 20 years of that, I burned out because everyone thought I was crazy. Yeah. I just went back to being an angry guy living on the street, but, you know, didn't have the money to get my hair cut. <laughs> well, now you've just connected Star Trek with the MCU. Yeah. Speaking of, of these big franchises, you have worked on a number of them, and I, it would be quicker to count the ones you haven't worked on, <laughs> really. Uh, but of those that you haven't, is there one that you have been yearning to get on that set and work on, you know, puppetry or whatever it is? Oh, that I haven't. Yeah, that you on. haven't, that you have been the whole time you sit there as an audience member wanting to be a part of. Yeah. That's a good question. I haven't thought about that. Hellboy. I would say Hellboy. Yeah. I nice. love that idea. I wasn't so happy with the last one. Yeah. Uh, not. I, I thought um, the guy that cast was great. Um, David Harbour. David Harbour yeah. was fantastic. I just didn't think the movie had the right tone, and I and I didn't really love the guy who was playing Professor Broom. I, I think he's a great actor. I just thought it was bad casting. You know, he's uh, he was. Uh, Oh, he was Blackbeard. Oh, he's been everywhere. Um, but anyway, he just didn't seem Professor Broomy to me. Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. No, well, since we brought up pirates, I think we can shut the door on the toy dollhouse. And we'll yes. chuck... Ian McShane. Ian McShane. Ian McShane, that's it. And he was in um the Shrek movies. That's a yeah. really random fact to pull out of my ass right before an ad break. So we'll chuck to a quick ad and we'll be back in a moment with Kirk Thatcher. summer winter spring or fall the first ever musical theater sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest west end show the fossey forest ballet where's the important stuff aha 
a thousand pound a week ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes. Starring Philip Joel and a West End cast featuring Carrie Alice, Darren Denny, Louise Demon, and Oliver Savile, and more. It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. <gasps> Darling! Mwah, mwah. How long have I been mentoring you? Three months? Two years. So, her name is Henrietta. The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. Watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theater charities, acting for others, and the theater's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice tights. Alrighty, you're listening to Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we're joined by Muppet Master Kirk Thatcher. Holy guacamole, I am one degree away from Miss Piggy. <laughs> oh, she, is she nice? She's a diva. She's, she's as much, if not more of a So diva. she is yeah. awesome. So she is nice then. That's good. That's my type of lady. So if, <laughs> if she had said she was kind, though, I would have been disappointed. Yeah. She's, she's a diva. Now, obviously, you were a screenwriter on Muppets Treasure Island, and you directed Muppets Wizard of Oz, as I had uh, mentioned in your introduction, and you've also got Muppets Haunted Mansion. Are you allowed to tell us anything about it? Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, there, we're, you know, we're in the last few weeks. In fact, all I can tell you, I just this afternoon left uh, the color timing. Okay. So yeah. the movie is, is literally getting finished tomorrow at noon. They have a few more shots to, to drop in. Can't talk about it till I think early or mid-October when it's launched, yeah. at least in the States. I don't know when they're going to launch it. I don't know if it is. Or is Disney Plus worldwide yeah. when they launch it? Oh, okay. So you guys should be getting it some, sometime before the 15th yep. of October, I'm told. Yep. Oh, awesome. It's really fun. And it, it, if you're a Muppet fan or a Haunted Mansion fan, it's like I said, it's really an excuse to do a billion Easter eggs for both IP uh there's tons of obviously muppet stuff but tons of haunted mansion stuff and the way we combined it was a lot of fun and and the one thing i could say they're not going to disneyland's haunted mansion they're going to a haunted mansion that's just very similar it, my my backstory that isn't in the movie is that same architect that built you know all four of the mansions that exist now well other thing is i'm really proud of the music the other two writers and i we wrote all the lyrics and wrote the songs with our composer and I'm just super happy with the songs and the music. We got three really catchy, fun songs. And again, you know, when you work on something this long, it kind of is it's part of your DNA and you can't sort of divorce yourself. You can't be subjective. But just listening to it after not, you know, like two or three, maybe about four weeks, I hadn't watched the movie because it was all going through all the effect shots being put in. And listening to it just made me giggle. Like, oh, it sounds like what you think a good disney muppet kind of musical would be so i'm, I'm really happy about that because i've done a couple other things where the songs i wasn't really happy with it but i didn't really have any control the, the nice thing for me is i got to write on this so i have a lot more influence on the story and what happens in it than when i'm just given the script yeah. so that i can say all that oh 
I don't know if you know mansion lore, but they say we have nine, they have 999 haunts, happy haunts in the mansion. Well, our, our joke, and it's actually true, we have 999 effect oh, shots. Really? Yeah. That's a, that, now that's a deep cut for an Easter egg. Yeah. yeah. I am familiar, but when I was at Disneyland in Tokyo, it was right before, what was right as they were switching it over to the ha- uh, Halloween um, ah, right. Christmas theme. So it was closed. Yeah. I was so disappointed yeah. because that is an iconic ride. It makes me crazy that on Halloween, it's a Christmas ride. I, no. I, I don't mind the Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm not a huge fan because to me, it makes it look like a, a cheap black light, you know, spook ride that you see at carnivals. Yeah. Um, and it's getting better in the Jack Skellington and some of the effects. But it just bugs me that the Haunted Mansion should be the Haunted Mansion on Halloween. And then they should yeah. change it over November 1st and let it run through, you know. So, yeah. but nobody, you know, nobody cares. <laughs> But I, I know that Brian Gosling is the same. He's been in, in the, the press saying he really does not like it when they change. Because you want to go to the actual Haunted Mansion and see the Haunted Mansion on Halloween, yeah. not, not Jack Skellington. I Christmas. want a proper Nightmare Before Christmas ride. That mm. is a movie we can watch anytime. It doesn't matter if it's a Christmas movie. That would make an awesome ride if they invested in that title, but they won't. Well, I'm guessing you would totally team up with Imagineering and create a Muppets dark ride. Well, it's funny you say that. I worked at Imagineering. Oh, did you? Oh, wow. I did, and I was working. Well, well, it was the it was 1990. Yeah. I was doing dinosaurs on the side with Jim, but working full time as a contractor with Imagineering, designing a an alien ride, uh, like an alien musical ride. And they were developing the Muppet uh, Muppet rides because they were Disney was buying the Muppets, and I was consulting on two Muppet oh, rides. Wow. Um, that was the one that sticks out that I really remember was the Muppet movie ride, the Great Muppet movie ride, and it was basically like eight different scenes of the Muppets filming, you know, like a western yeah. and a space movie and all that, and they were really fun and they had an amazing team of artists and designers. And I was just consulting with you know what the Muppets look like, what they do. So I would, yeah, I'd love that. Well, in fact, the Muppets are now managed as a part, a division of Imagineering. And that just happened two years ago. And and they were a great asset through the Haunted Mansion movie because we literally, when we started, they gave us a, like we're, I'm talking about the outline, not even the the script, the outline. They gave us about a set. I'm doing this like it was an actual document. It was a 70, 80 page PDF files with all this history and behind the scenes photos and close-ups of things you know you never seen the ride except from like 50 60 80 feet away and so that was an amazing resource uh and and super cool to have as a you know a memento i mean it's not a a natural book but it's a great uh, resource if you're a mansion fan and all of us were my production designer who i'd done the curious creations of christine mcconnell with which is a netflix series that was kind of a comedy spooky thing and so she did that show and She's awesome. Her name's Darcy Prevo. And uh, I, we kind of had a contest. Who's the bigger mansion fan? Who, who has the deep, who knows the deeper cuts? And I think it was a tie, but she just, I could, you know, was chomping at the bit to do this. And I was so excited we got her because she's really good yeah. and killed it. I mean, you, you, people, a couple of people watched it said, how did you shoot in the mansion? I'm like, we didn't, no. <laughs> we did not shoot in the mansion, but it looks like we did. Yeah. Uh, now just still on Halloween, given your insane creative and construction skills, what is Halloween like with Kirk Thatcher? And can you come and decorate my house sometime? <laughs> <laughs> I used to have huge Halloween parties where I would spend two weeks doing the, in- my house looked like a haunted mansion from the inside. I didn't do much yeah. on the outside. Um, and then life happened. And well, I think what happened was the last party I spent probably 22 days getting my house ready. Every room except my bedroom was done mm-hmm. up. 
you know, displays and creatures and changed all the paintings on the walls. And like 30 people showed up oh, really? because they had kids. And, you know, and I was like, yeah. OK, I'm not going to kill myself anymore. And this year, it's interesting with COVID because I was thinking I, I probably have the time. But, I, you know, with with uh, COVID, you just don't want to have 70 to 100 people in a clo- in your house. Uh, yeah. With Delta. So, yeah. And I would come over and decorate your house, but you'd have to pay for the airfare. Oh, God damn it. I was about, I was supposed to throw in, uh, remember, I am poor at the <laughs> end of that one. But anyway, so we'll move on to the musical this week because we are doing Muppet Treasure Island, which I spoke about childhood trauma in my review, which was obviously a joke. However, when I was 10 years old, I went to a preview screening of Muppet Treasure Island it was a dress up as your favorite Muppet character or as a pirate. Oh. So I, I used masking tape and made a nose and I was Gonzo, uh, which I colored in with blue texture. So it just looked ridiculous and kept falling off my face. <laughs> I, I was Gonzo as a pirate and I got there. And mind you, uh, at this stage, I was already doing musical theater. So I was already starting to get a bit of confidence, but also the bullying from, you know, playing with dolls right. in school was haunting me everywhere. And so I go along to this preview screening and I was one of four children that were there and I was the only one that was over the age of five and I was 10 so having you on my show today is vindication from that childhood trauma which I have never lived down that was so (laughs) humiliating um just sitting there so awkwardly and there's these like three or four year olds and like yeah cute and all great other people's children that's what you want when you're 10 years old right when you're really trying to distance yourself from toddlers. Exactly. Yeah. And you want to be that sort of, well, no, don't want to be. You are that awkward preteen. Um, but no, right. I loved the movie and Thank you. It, it is very Muppets. I know um, I'll, I'll ask this question now before we get into it, because it is the hard question. Obviously, this came out only five years, six years after Jim's death. And I know that you were working with him before that. How long did it take the Jim Henson company to, to refine his voice through all that? Well, you know, it, Jim was obviously the center of the cyclone, but everyone else, I mean, in some ways it kind of um, it championed everyone to like, we're not going to let this. I remember there was a month or so where we're like, does it, do we all just go away? I mean, do we let it, Yeah. you know, what, what's going to happen? And then Brian stepped in to, to be the head of the company and most of us had met him, but very few of us had worked with him because he really hadn't done a lot with the Muppets. He'd been a puppeteer, but he was off doing his own thing. He, he was really involved with Little Shop of Horrors and things like that and puppeteering for, what was it, uh, Fafner Hall, which was a British kids show about music. Okay, yeah. And then um, the Storyteller, he'd been a big puppeteer. Uh, yeah. He did the dog. If you ever saw Storyteller, the dog is actually Brian's voice, you know, dog, what kind of dog? That's Brian doing, you know, made that great character and puppeteered him. So we'd all kind of met him, but we hadn't really worked with him. So there was a, that was the biggest adjustment. And we jumped right into dinosaurs. Jim passed away. And my last meeting with him was a Friday where we had lunch and we went over my second round of sketches and talked about the show. And then he said he was going to visit family down, I think in Baltimore that weekend. And I said, I'm going to stay in New York. And then I flew home on a Monday and Tuesday morning, I got the call saying, Jim just passed away. And I'm like, that's, how is that possible? I, I had lunch with him four days ago. And so we all literally kind of joined up again in New York and obviously mainly the first two weeks was just mourning. And then what are we going to do? And we all said, no, we got to keep this going. And I, I think it wasn't so hard to find it because we all worked with Jim. So you kind of had his 
presence, his voice yeah. in your head. And, you know, the key players, Frank Oz and Jerry Nelson and Jerry Jewell and Dave Goals, they were all there. And everyone just kind of said Jim would like, I mean, I remember a thing we often said, and especially in the first five to eight years, Jim would have loved this. Jim would really like, you know, you could kind of tell this was a very Jim thing. So I think in some ways it was to honor him and also to keep the magic going. You know, he had set such a tone and such an energy in that company that it was just really almost impossible to imagine not doing it, at least for a while. And, uh, you know, we had some successes. Christmas Carol was really well received. And that was done, what, a year and a half after he, uh, two years after he passed. Yeah. And then uh, Treasure Island was another two, two years after that. And I thought those, I think those are really successful movies. It's what I like the Muppets as. Yeah. I, I know other fans don't, or, you know, disagree. I don't think they hate it, but they think, oh, I just want to see the Muppets in the present day and their lives. And to me, they're more like a Python. I've always thought of them as Monty Python with puppets. I want to see them like Life of Brian or, or a Holy Grail, where you see them in a, a genre or a, a world that isn't present day, and you have the fun of it. And that's really what Treasure Island came out of, because they'd done, uh, while we were doing Dinosaurs, they'd done Christmas Carol. And, you know, it's beautiful and charming. I thought it was a little sweet and a little twee for me. I didn't dislike it, but I thought, okay, let's do a, so I, my pitch was, let's do a big rollicking adventure, like, like a pirate movie, because... It's funny, Pirates of the Caribbean was such a huge influence on me as a kid. And I said, you know, like our original script had giant tiki gods marching down, chasing them to the beach at the end of the movie. And I said, we started like the book and ended like a Hope and Crosby movie yeah. with Raiders of the Lost Ark thrown in. And they slowly beat us back into a submission, or at least me, I guess. I was the real voice for like, let's, it's a Muppet movie. And at that point, I think there had been 12 versions of Treasure Island committed to screen, whether TV or movie. Yeah. And I said, if we're not doing it differently, like, what's the point? I mean, a puppet version of it. So, you know, they, they definitely obviously listened to me and let me do some of the crazy stuff that I liked with not only the casting, but I remember <laughs> Fozzie Bear is um, the idiot son of the, um, basically a trust fund kid who didn't have to work a day in his yeah, life. I can't remember the name of his finger. And I oh, it was Mr. Bim. No, it was Mr. Bimbo. Cause that was my joke. I said, well, let's make him crazy. And he has a little imaginary kid it was riffing off the movie, um, uh, the shining where, you know, the little boy had Mr. And so, I was playing with that so we had mr bimbo who lived in his finger oh, i didn't even make that connection Ugh. yeah frank oz came in because he was not involved in the writing so he comes in he goes so you know he's he's crazy he's crazy and we're like yeah he's he's gently bewildered you know he's not uh he's not screaming bonkers but the pitch was he's a trust fund kid he's never had to work a day his life his daddy runs this shipping thing and so he just you know he's all fancily dressed and he has his little friend because he basically nobody liked him so he has this little imaginary friend that lives in his finger and uh frank said all right i mean i'll try it but if it's too weird you know well, well let's cut it out and we did the read-through and it got huge laughs even amongst the cast and so he's like all right well got a lot of laughs so let's keep it in but all that kind of madness like cabin fever was definitely my uh because when i was a kid even like it was a ray harryhausen movie with you know sinbad in the eye of the tiger or you know jason the argonauts in the middle of the movie when it's about the romance or the character development i was so bored mm -hmm. I said, we can't do this. If it's going to be a kid's movie, let's make the middle of the movie like the most fun. So that's where Cabin Fever came from. Yeah. Let's do this crazy thing where, because in the book, they talk about being in irons, which means there's no wind and you're just sitting, drifting at sea. 
and I said, we should do a song about that, like like how you go crazy, like cabin fever. And we couldn't think of another word or a nautical term that meant cabin fever. So I said, well, there's cabins on a ship, so we can still call it cabin fever. And, and we wrote kind of what it was about. And then Man and Wild, who are amazing songwriters, I, I knew everyone knows their body of work. I mean, they, they've written hits from like the late 50s until, well, I think they worked in probably until the 90s. Yes, no, they're portrayed in the musical Beautiful for Broadway fans. Yes. And they nailed their, so I saw the musical in LA and they nailed their personalities. They're very distinct and working with them, you really got to know them. And if you watch that play, at least the version I saw in LA, then the writers nailed the difference between Barry and and Cynthia. And they really are chalk and cheese. Barry's like a guy from Jersey and he's, you know, he's playing (laughs) on the piano and he's just selling it and, and super sticky and schmaltzy, which I loved and worked well with the Muppets. And Cynthia's very urbane. She looked like she was a model, very willowy and very calm and and the two of them together are the yin and yang that just makes those amazing songs and yep. and they took to the muppets way way more successfully than i than i think any of us could have imagined yep. we knew they wrote hit pop songs but just such an amazing job and and that to me is one of the highlights of that movie uh, you know the writing notwithstanding yep. <laughs> but yep. the uh, the music the songs they wrote are so catchy yep. so but yeah, I think after those two successes, I think we all felt, okay, this is, you know, we can, we can do this. They weren't runaway hits. I think, you know, Treasure Island, I mean, they both did fine. But the thing about the Muppets is if you made, even, I don't care if you made the greatest Muppet movie, even the, the, the original Muppet movie, I don't know if you prorated the dollars for today. It's probably still the most successful because it was the end of a five-year TV yeah. run. And now, I don't know. I don't know. The, the last two movies were kind of, I think, you know, about all you can do with them in living in the present day. We had the evil twin and then, oh, the Muppets are dead and now they're coming back, you know, but they basically copied the story we did for a Christmas special called Very Merry Muppets Christmas, which is we're going to lose the theater and, you know, what they go through to, to save it. Yeah, Most Wanted did ring a little bit of Great Muppet Caper. Yeah. But I, I thought, no, that, I thought they were good on their own merit. Yeah, yeah. They're not terrible, but yeah. I just don't know what, I mean, for me, that's fine, but what else are you going to do with the Muppets? To me, I think they work better on TV anyway, unless you're going to do a genre picture. Like I've been pitching, I mean, I've been pitching a Halloween, some sort of Haunted Mansion Halloween, not the Disney Haunted Mansion, but Ghost Story movie since 1993, I think. And, you know, I'd love to do a Western and I wrote a sci-fi movie that didn't get made. But I think they lend themselves to kind of poking fun at it, almost like Austin Powers did with James Bond movies, you know. Now, I did have a question of what are the Muppets to you, but you've kind of just answered that in a way. So I'll I'll answer it for you. To me, you're absolutely, I I agree with you on all that, but there is that dash of poignancy, which Jim had. You only need to look at the the musical number, um, Buffalo Springfield, for what it's worth, the animals and the hunters. And seeing that as a child, that stood out and and but that's what they are to me that they are the crazy with that poignant twist and and that's probably why I've grown up on them and they've influenced so much of of my sense of humor just the craziness that comes from that and and all that now okay in terms of Muppet Treasure Island whether or not it's good we'll leave that up to Evan (laughs) so how did you go with this movie all right. Um, yeah, Muppet Treasure. Again, I remember I we have a Hollywood legend on our show right now who knows your name. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll go like this, Evan. I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, affect your. He knows your name and what city you're in, <laughs> and he knows everyone apparently. 
and we have some Muppet quackers that know how to use weapons. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Evan, go. Yeah, no, again, Mount Treasure I hadn't seen it. I, I don't know how I hadn't seen it, but I hadn't seen it. There's a lot of, again, I'm, you know, I'm 45. I grew up with Muppets on TV and, and the Muppet show, the original Muppet show. That's what I mainly remember. And by the time the movie going, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd somehow I just missed it. Maybe we just didn't go to the movies very often. Again, we're coming from a small country town in New Zealand. We'd only go to the movies sort of once a year, you know, um, and that would be the big thing of we'd go and see Rocky, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, so I hadn't seen Muppet Treasure Island. But yeah, just doing the research on you is such a rediscovery of your childhood, constantly finding out that you had your hand in so many films that I would never have guessed of, you know, like Cat's Eye and House, um, which, you know, I still have a copy of here. Uh, still one of my favorite films. Even before I knew we were going to have you on a few months, weeks ago in the news, you got Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson going into the atmosphere and even Aaron brought it up. Um, and every time it came up in the news, it would get stuck in my head. They would say, uh, they'd say on the news, you know, the billionaires in space and I would get pigs in space stuck in my head, you know? <laughs> and now the continuing story of billionaires, it's... Space! You know, just over and over that all day. But yes, yeah, usually uh, for these reviews, I'll have to listen to a musical and have to put down why I can't stand that particular song or another. But this is the Muppets. We've grown up with them. They're part yeah. of our childhoods. The millions of people around the world. How can you say a bad word about Muppets? So in saying that, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, making uh, Statler and Waldorf the ship figureheads was was funny as hell. Stroker genius. Yeah. Um, I, I love the amount of effort you went through to build that just for a couple of shots. You know, uh, again, you brought up the flamenco cabin fever number as a standout song, showing that the, this is the Muppets and they're supposed to be mental. Obviously, <laughs> I think the best line in the whole film has to be Rizzo saying, Kid, I'm somewhere between bedwetting and a near-death experience. I just pissed myself laughing. That was my line. Yeah, I figured it would be. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, don't be scared. Scared. I'm somewhere between bedwetting and a near-death experience. It was, oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> the score itself is epic. I did listen to the original soundtrack that has all the incidental music and all the theme scores for all the characters. And it's just so big and grand and dark sounding. And it could it could easily be a score for, you know, a Pirates of the Caribbean or a very serious, you know, pirate film. Oh. It's really kind of juxtaposed with what you're seeing on TV and, and what you're hearing if you listen to them separately. And I'm sure during production you would have heard the score before seeing the final product and it's, it's quite a dark sounding score really yeah it's a swash yeah the final track which weird love power i was listening to it thinking wow you've really nailed the reggae feel i swear yeah. that could be ziggy singing <laughs> and it wasn't until later i look it up and sure enough it is you know i don't know how you snagged ziggy marley for that one but everybody loves the muffins <laughs> well yeah mm -hmm. uh, of course tim curry is is an excellent pirate i mean he is just excellent at everything he does anyway but yeah he, he really nails it as a pirate he's amazing talent and an amazing voice actor with and you used him later with uh dinosaurs as well he did some work for you dinosaurs yeah and no one knew it was him like yeah most of the time you, you would do a you know a texan or something you've no idea it was but yeah, no we love muppet treasure island it's it's excellent it's just what I do love is you've done the Muppets, you've made them crazy, or at least a few really bonkers characters, but then it will be periodically grounded into a little bit of reality, with, generally with the rats. Rats will pop up and be skiing, you know, or they'll be, hey, stop with the alcohol, you're stripping the paint off the shuffleboard, or, or they're doing tourist photo shoots. And just while all this 
oh, we're supposed to be in the 1800s on the open seas. The, the, the rats are, you know, on a cruise. I love how it just periodically just jumps back. And then even, yeah. even once they're on the island, it's like, this is the, uh, the actual set where they filmed Treasure <laughs> Island. And they're like, oh, I'm taking photos. You know, it's that. I love that. How you've littered that all the way yeah. through. That fourth wall breaking is my favorite, one of my favorite things. Again, like Python would do it and, and you know, the young ones. I mean, all, all the touchstones we talked about, you're never supposed to take it seriously. What The thing that's interesting about Treasure Island, particularly, and, and a little bit Christmas Carol, is that, and, and we our original script did not have a little human actor as Jim Hawkins. We had Gonzo and Rizzo as Jim and Hawkins, not his Jiminy Crickets. And I kept saying, well, you know, it's a Muppet movie and we keep giving the main roles mm -hmm. to humans, you know, uh, and Tim Curry made sense, you know, in Long John, there was no Muppet that could have played that. But uh, they, they, and this came from Disney, they thought, well, children won't, and it's an argue, it's an arguable point, like, oh, you can't really get that poignancy as you use your term with you know Gonzo and Rizzo playing the moments of basically having a man crush on on, on Long John Silver and thinking like this guy's so cool and badass and then realizing he's not really a good guy and Tim and and Kevin Bishop who was his first major role was were great in it and sold that but it always bugs me and it is that kind of heart that they have that we never, you know, even the the Muppet movie they did with uh, Jason Segel, Jason Segel wrote, like, it was a Jason Segel movie with the Muppets as the, you know, supporting cast. Yeah. And yeah, they threw Walter in there, but he was a cipher, like he was just sort of a, a he's Jason Segel's buddy who, you know, wants to be a Muppet, but he is a Muppet. I don't know. That stuff kind of bugs me. And because this, this movie that we did, The Haunted Mansion, Gonzo and uh, Pepe are the part of the movie. Yeah. There, it's not a human being, you know, I mean, human beings are in it and play various roles, but it's Gonzo's story and Pepe's story. And I like that. And it's a short film. It's only about 45 minutes of movie and then five, five minutes of credits. I, I think, you know, for me, that's more of a challenge because people tend to think, oh, they're just goofy. You know, you, you can't have a real emotional response. But I, I think, as you pointed out, you, you can. And, and the moments when they do work, it works really well. I just think we don't need to hit it that hard no. because they're already warm and fuzzy and you kind of have good, good feelings about them. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, no. Why are you apologizing for talking on my show, Kirk? Take that back. Goodness <laughs> me. I don't, we can fill in Evan's ADR at any time. <laughs> That's why you're here to talk about your work. <laughs> exactly. Now, one thing I love about the Muppets, I always loved about the Muppets is the composite shots. And I've never really been in a position to put any together. Are they as fun as it looks to, to sit there and, and be like, okay, well, sort of like on Treasure Island, you've got the water and you've got like a volcano and, and it's obviously need the smoke as a, a different layer. And is that sort of fun to sit there and be like cut and paste and, and put this stuff together? Yeah, I mean, it's better now. It's easier now with computer. Like I was saying, uh, the Haunted Mansion has 999 effect shots. And yeah. We never set foot in an actual mansion exterior or interior. So, you know, it is fun. It's it's fun. I mean, again, fun is more of like, I like the challenge of figuring out how to make it look like a tropical island or a haunted mansion yeah. or, you know, whatever you're doing. The hardest stuff is getting the Muppets to do things they don't really, you know, full body shots where they're walking or jumping or flying. Yeah, slow fighting. Or riding a bicycle. Yeah, riding. Well, the riding the bike stuff wasn't a composite. That was just brute strength. Mm a guy on you know one guy originally and then suddenly like 30 people on cranes marionetting radio controlled puppets and just painting the wire you know making sure the wires don't show um where now it's all green screen and you know uh comps yeah, it's backgrounds. A, it's a blender and yeah 
I think the audience likes it too. I, I've always said that the Muppets are half circus act. It, it, all they have to do is, I mean, Kermit rides a bicycle or, you know, stands on a ledge and tap dances. You're just, it, it's delightful. Whereas, you know, if Jason Siegel does, you're like, okay, he can dance after about four thirty seconds. You're like, oh, I didn't know he's a good dancer or he's not. And they cut around it. But uh, with the Muppets, there's a sense of spectacle. It's a magic act, you know? And I think we get a lot of goodwill because of that, where we do, one of the things as a Muppet writer and, and it, one thing I think they lost at the, the the last version of the Muppet Show they did, just the Muppets, they they forgot that that the fun of being a puppet is part of the show. You know, that's what made the Muppet Show great. There was just stupid stuff. There was yeah. talking vegetables or alien planets, you know, mm-hmm. and and this whole thing of like reality and, and human, the subtle human drama. I, I think Muppets are not the right thing to do the office with. And I think they were trying to go, oh, the office was a hit. Let's do the Muppets like the office, which I think is a great premise, but you can't throw out all the silliness. Mm, no, no, that was the only thing missing. And I think that's what it missed for me. Yeah. But again, that's my that's my kink with the Muppets is like they've got to be bonkers and silly. And at least half of it has to be why. I mean, Jim used to say when we would talk about stuff, if you can do it with people, don't with actors, don't do it with puppets. There's no reason. Yeah. Actors are always going to do it better. I mean, the reason Piggy works is because she's such a huge camp drag act yeah. <laughs> you really had her doing an emotional scene you're gonna laugh because you don't it's sort of like oh i don't get it she's not meryl streep if she's making fun of meryl streep or trying to do an emotional scene it's great but if you really i mean kermit can get away with it and a lot of that was jim you know he had that soul um which i think like you were saying uh, some of it just or, uh, no sorry the frank oz article which you mentioned a little bit frank you know they, they've they've lost their heart and their soul which i don't necessarily agree with but i know what he's saying uh and we can talk about that later but it, it is uh it's, it's a great intellectual property to work with and for and, and create things with because you're kind of unlimited well in terms of um directing the humans are on a raised platform can you run us through the differences in setup and framing as compared to working on a regular set with just meat puppets or humans yeah when the muppets are just with themselves you can either have the guys standing or on like low rolling chairs so they're basically where we're all right now i assume you guys are sitting and so your camera the bottom of lens is about four and a half feet off the ground when they're working with actors like we just did um with uh well pretty much anything we've done where actors are you know between five four and six foot one uh we have like a 40 inch platform that the actors are on so the puppeteers are standing you try and have the muppets kind of live around at a human's shoulder height pepe and Gons are a little shorter. Fozzie might be a little taller, but they kind of live around yeah. here. Um, if they get too short, you can't hold a two shot very well without looking up the ceiling. And so in terms of lenses, what I favor are wide angle lenses. And I had a discussion with Barry Sonnenfeld once because he loves the wide angle lens. Jesus Christ. Goodness me. Another bloody legendary name. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was great. We we, we did a, a little gig together. Uh, we were judges on this Henson show, and he came in as a guest judge, and I was like, oh, my God, you know, I'm a huge fan of his. And so I, we talked about lenses for 20 minutes, <laughs> half an hour. But uh, the wide-angle lens, if you know anything about yeah. lenses, a wide-angle lens gives you a wider view. So if someone's close to lens and they take three steps back, puppet steps, it looks like, oh, that's like a person taking three steps. If you're on a narrower lens, they take a step and it just looks like they're bouncing up and down, which then makes them look more like a puppet. So I tend to favor wider lenses. It makes the puppets, particularly the smaller ones like Gonzo and Pepe, appear more like human scale. Mm -hmm. And then when you have actors, if you have them in front of camera, the puppets and the actor, you know, two or three feet away, the actor looks like he's five feet away and the puppets, you know, it it just blends them together better. Uh, and longer lenses, you know, if you if you know about lenses, if you're a camera bug or a, a film buff, 
you kind of understand what I'm saying, but that that's pretty much the two things that I think help make you accept them. I, I said, nobody ever watches a James Bond movie and goes, where's his feet? I didn't see his <laughs> legs. I mean, you don't really care about the lower half. I mean, unless it's an adult film, you don't care what anyone's doing below the waist. Yeah. Um, sure. And so I think that's why the Muppets are successful because they just walk around and, you know, most movies are, particularly TV is medium to close-ups. It's heads and shoulders or, you know, waist up for a stick. And once in a while, we have to have a full body shot. You know, it's a big deal and you can take half a day to get something. But uh, so I, I think those are the two main things is, is framing framing it so you're using a wide angle lens because you're always shooting them from the waist yeah. up and then also the other funny thing that i learned from my first movie was particularly uh camera guys the operators will also frame people in a close-up kind of a forehead chop where you, you get them and you really get that you know but you can't do that with a puppet a because Kermit. well most yeah, puppets kermit don't have foreheads yeah i mean kermit's eyeballs and it, suddenly you're noticing the paint flex <laughs> on his eyes or that is you know no is his, his snout is basically fabric so we, I tend to shoot singles or close-ups on the Muppets, more like a, a loose single on a, on a person yeah. and then not go, unless you're doing like a Sergio Leone riff or something, I wouldn't go right into their eyes because you just kind of, it, it kills the illusion that they're a living thing and yeah. it shows, shows off that they're a puppet. And uh, speaking of that though, is, is this true that when actors or anybody meets the Muppets, they cannot help but look in their eyes? A good actor will. A bad actor will look at the puppeteer and be thrown by it because you know there's a there's a person standing underneath Kermit going, "Hey, how's it going?" And, and good actors will look in the eyes and and it works for them. They go, "Oh my God, I'm talking to a you know a sock with ping pong balls." Yeah. But they they and the and you know most of the credits due to the performers are so good that they're actually looking at the actor and acting to that actor, not just flapping the gums and saying lines. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it is fun. Uh, it kind of separates. I've said this since I started directing them. Uh, it's a it's, it's sort of a razor of who's a good actor and who isn't or who's comfortable in their character and who isn't. Yeah. They, the, the worst ones are the ones who suddenly get real presentational like, oh, hi, Kermit. And they start acting like they're on a kid show <laughs> from, you know, from the 60s. And it, it kills everything. Yeah. It's like, no, no, you know, and, and you would be surprised some a few actors have had to kind of be reminded is like, no, no, you just talk to them. Like you're talking to, you know, Ethan Lane or Robin Williams, you know, you don't, yeah. don't act presentational because they're a puppet. And again, and any actor that we're working with usually gets that in the beginning, a couple, there've been a few or more celebrities than actors who, who kind of do it. But it's an easy. You know, I've had to have that conversation with Evan about responding. When I say that, do the, Oh, guess what? what? And he what? would go, what? Like that? Like he's, he's like, oh, I'm on a children's show. But no, this is not Sesame Street. Look, um, I'm on. I'm on now. Okay. Yeah, I know. You're theatre kids. You've done theatre. You've done acting. You've tried to sing. You know, you've learnt scripts and stuff. I, I'm a baker. You know, I, I just I listen to it. I don't. And you're doing really well. Look at that. You're doing fantastic. The, the funniest thing we usually get is uh, cameramen who've never worked with them before will give them an eyeline. In other words, Kermit doesn't look no. through his eyes, but they'll say, oh, no, look, look, look up here. Look up. We'll put a piece of tape on the camera or on the wall. And we have to go, well, actually, the puppeteer is looking at a monitor. So, you know, give them a thing to look at in the room or on, on screen and then they can use that. Yeah, that happens. Uh, now, obviously, you, you mentioned uh, Frank Oz before, and um, yeah. it would be utterly unpunk of me not to ask, do you have a rebuttal for <laughs> the uh, scandalous comments that Mr. Oz put out to the Guardian. Well, yeah.
G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. Crack thud, the human trips over the uneven ground as the Twanimal blows out the lantern. Watch your step, Kapoor says a little too late. Why did you put the light out? Ollikosh, an open flame near hay bales? And here I thought you were smart, sir. Toniston agrees with how silly he must have sounded. What are we doing out here? The boy asks as they blindly walk around the side of the house, where they're greeted by giant shadows rising up above them. Unable to properly see in the pitch-black darkness, Toniston presumes they are the three hay bales. He looks around. The plains are vast, and the spotlights out in the distance, now a purple colour, seem to be too far away to bring any real light to them. They do, however, look very pretty dancing on the rippling oceanic sky. Stand back, the silhouetted cub paw warns with his gruff but friendly voice, clearly able to see in the darkness better than the human who had constantly refused to eat his carrots. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! And um, it would be utterly unpunk of me not to ask, do you have a rebuttal for the <laughs> scandalous comments that Mr. Oz put out to the Guardian? Well, yeah, look, I, I totally understand Frank's point of view, yeah. and he's not wrong. They don't, and, and, and it's true for all of us, when Disney took over, it's a huge corporate machine, yeah. where yeah. when the Henson family and Jim owned it, it was one person. It was like when Walt Disney ran Disney and then suddenly, you know, Katzenberg and Eisner are marketing people. So it's a very different culture. Mm -hmm. And what Frank was used to was either being the 800 pound gorilla or being, you know, the other half of the 800 pound gorilla with Jim. And so him saying they don't want him. It's not that they don't want him. They've asked him and they would love to have him. But then they'll say, well, here, Frank, you know, we think we don't, we, you know, could you do piggy this way or marketing or, you know, committees will start giving their, two cents worth and that's just not the way he wants to work and i get it i mean yeah. he's frank freaking on it'd be like giving, yeah. yeah it'd be like giving you know a drummer notes to charlie watts like hey charlie i like what you're doing but yeah. now that now that you're owned by uh you know whatever record label we'd like you to take some of that jazz out and make it more rock you know make it more metal it's yeah. like who the hell are these people and i think frank's just i mean in some ways not in some ways absolutely been spoiled by being the one of the creators so for him, it's just, you can't really go back. You know, it's like being in a relationship with someone and then saying, let's just be friends. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think he, he was, you know, so much a part of the Muppets for so long that to work in an environment where you're getting marketing people and corporate, you know, middle, a lot of middle management giving notes and opinions. And, and, you know, he wrote a script with Jim Lewis, who's the other old timer with me that's been with the company since the mid eighties. 
uh, that based on Jerry Jewell, who was uh, the original, one of the main writers who'd been, I think it was the first guy, second guy Jim hired, uh, who I worked on, you know, wrote uh, Treasure Island with. And he and Jim spent like a year and a half and wrote a Muppet movie. And Disney said, oh, we like the Jason Siegel one better, which I said is a Jason Siegel yeah. movie with the Muppets as the supporting cast. And I think after that, he just kind of went, well, all right, you know, fine. I, I, it's not like he needs the money um, where the rest of us do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone's been frustrated with the corporate culture, not the day-to-day -day people are awesome and they love the Muppets, but it's just the process, you know, it's like building, it's like doing a painting on your own or doing a mural for a mm. municipal building yeah. where you're going to get, you know, and not, neither are wrong. You get different products, but I think for Frank and, you know, I don't mean to speak for him, but I, I think reading between the lines, I think that's the frustration. And I don't think it's Disney doesn't want him. I think he yeah. doesn't want to work with those kind of strictures, which we all have to. Yeah. Um, and I get it. I wouldn't either. It's frustrating for me. You know, it's frustrating to get notes from marketing people or, you know, just, middle management who's like no nah, do you need that joke or that joke's a little dull i'm like yeah it's not a toddler show it's a but you kind of you have to listen to them because they you know write the checks and, and and manage the franchise so i think uh i think that's what it is so it's not really a rebuttal it's it's an understanding but yeah. also kind of explaining from where he sits i wouldn't like it either yeah you know yeah no i i am being a, a shit stirrer there by saying that no no i, I look i've been talking about all of but yeah, but a lot of people have asked me about it. You know, I mean, I think I've been sent that article 22 times in the last two days. Yeah. What do you think? Have you seen this? And I'm like, he's not wrong. I get it from his perspective. He's, I wouldn't want to do it either. It's like if someone came to me and said, you know, I'm trying to think like Christine McConnell, which I basically created with Christine. And they said, okay, well now, you know, these other people are going to come in and, and we want to do more, but you know, we think Christine, you shouldn't do this and that. It, it just, it waters it down. Yeah. So. No, you're, you're an artist. An artist, full stop. That's and so is Frank Oz. And yeah, I mean, we all are, and and, and all the people who do the Muppets exactly. are artists, and and the level of respect. It's not like they're not respected. I just think there's only two companies within Disney right now that get that level of freedom. It's Marvel and Pixar. And I would, you know, I said if, if Muppet movies were making a billion dollars, they'd let it, they'd leave us alone too. Yeah. But yeah, well, people out there, watch more Muppet movies. <laughs> give it just send us money yes or, or, or that no actually send me money buy my books kids that's why i keep asking <laughs> this uh now in 2025 tom hooper and our disney overlords reboot the muppets as human cgi makeup hybrids a la cats so who would play <laughs> the following muppets kermit the frog uh if Tom Hanks were a little younger, I'm trying to think who would be the, uh, who's kind of the new Tom Hanks? Chet Hanks. Yeah, Jim or Ryan Gosling, I think would be yeah. a good call. I, I said Aquafina for mine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, thought, I think she'll do it really well. Did you write one, Evan? Yeah, yeah. I, I kept with the musical theme and I've got um, Lin-Manuel Miranda as Kermit. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah, he's sweet. He's got a nice charm about him. Yeah, good call. sing. I accept that yeah. answer. Oh, my initial thought was, um, oh God, um, Lord of the Rings. Uh, Dominic Monaghan. No, no, no. Or Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood, yeah. Elijah Wood was my first choice, and then my wife oh, yeah. sort of went, eh. yeah. He's a little, he's a little soft, but Dominic's a good yeah. call. I think he's got a, he's got a, that impish charm, and he does yeah. a bit, yeah. Now, Miss Piggy, real life Miss Piggy. Yeah, gonna offend some poor actress out there. We apologize in advance. It's all a bit of fun. 
No, I mean, again, a younger Bette Midler would be per. I mean, if it's yeah. CG, Bette Midler would kill it. She would. I mean, she yeah. basically was one of the touchstones that Piggy was kind of based yeah. on. I got Rebel Wilson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good call. Yeah, or, or somehow you could have a very young Dolly Parton. Oh, yeah. She could do anything. Mariah Carey, I put down. Okay. Um, and Mariah Carey fans, please don't come after me for that one. Miss Piggy is a legend. We love her. Keeping right. with the musical theme again. Yes. Yeah. Gonzo the Great. Gonzo's interesting because uh, he's got heart, but he's bananas. Yep. You know, Crispin Glover's too crazy. <laughs> uh, Zach Galifianakis, kind of, but he'd also be a good Fozzie Bear. Yeah. Playing a little more, uh, maybe Ed Helms. I'm trying to think who embodies that manic nuttiness. Oh, Jack Black. Uh, Jack Black, yeah. Yeah. Who did you say, Evan? Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Oh yeah, I think he's crazy, but he's a little chill. But yeah, okay. yeah well, he's an actor. He can he can act crazy. I believe. Yeah, yeah. It's Winning true. an Oscar for this one, Steve Buscemi <laughs> as Gonzo. Oh yeah, yeah that's nice. a good call. That's a good yeah. call. Waka waka, fuzzy bear. Yeah. Uh, well, I said got Zach Galifianakis could definitely play that. Yeah. Uh, the only I'm trying to think of the the neuroses and kind of the insecurity. I think Zach could play that. All right, that's my that's what Evan. I, got. I actually got Richard Kind. Wow, oh, that's a yes. really um, good choice. Richard is a friend of mine, and that yeah. that is a great call. That is a great call. He has that way about him. Yeah, no, and has that and that charming and yes, yeah, that insecurity and charm. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. I think he'd be. I think he would take that as a call. That is a mic drop moment. Nathan Lane. Yeah, yeah. good one. Nathan Lane. I, I put Dan Fogler. Yeah, he'd be a good Gonzo, maybe. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> Josh Gad. Yeah, I, I had him, but I crossed him out in favor of Dan Fogler. Oh, yeah, All Dan right. Fogler. Yeah, that's not, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, Animal. Mm. Jack Black. Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> that was my choice originally, but I crossed it out and, and wrote the answer that I put, which is a name that's been said already. Uh, Zach Galifianakis. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, they have to be a presence enough to be nonverbal, essentially, and still... I'm trying to think of, you know, Jack Black has that energy, um, that kind of id. James Corden. James Corden. Oh, he'd be a good Fozzie Bear too, actually. <laughs> I can hear everyone groaning right now because I don't know why people don't like him. I really don't. He's just a theater kid. That's all he is. We're all theater kids, so. He's a Muppet. He gets it. Yeah, exactly. Evan, who's your animal? Animal. Oh, come on. It's obvious. Yeah. Dave Grohl. Okay. Oh, yeah. Good call. That, that was totally obvious. Yeah, you're right. That is obvious. Yeah, they've already played against each other. And yeah, yeah come exactly. on, Dave Grohl. If, if you need a guy to just get up there and scream one word, yeah, and drum like a maniac, there you go, Dave Grohl. Yeah. Yeah. And then drum like a maniac. Yeah. yeah. We probably couldn't afford Dave Grohl. No. Good call. All right. Lastly, Janice. Janice, well, just looks alone, Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from that, not the answer I was expecting. No. <laughs> I mean, Sarah Silverman's funny and she can kind of do that. Yeah, I've got two for mine. I couldn't pick between Zendaya or Snoop Dogg. <laughs> they are both really, really cool. So if we can yeah. get a hybrid of the two of them, a, a love child, grow that love child up quickly and they can play Janice. Snoop Zaya. Zaya. <laughs> Zen Dog. <laughs> Zen Dog. Which really is what Janice is, kind of a Zen Dog. Yeah. Funnily gotcha. enough, I had two as well. Um, Okay, my initial thought was Taylor Swift. Oh, okay. Okay, and then my wife said, no, Demi Moore. Let's mm. see, mm. young Demi Moore. Yeah, young Demi Moore. But it's the comedy part that, you know, that's why, like, Sarah Silverman could totally play that energy. 
she'd be you know because janice is kind of broad it's not a mm. subtle <laughs> like not a subtle impression you know <laughs> yeah it's like snoop dog that's right there like it'd be chill and that's the thing like the the muppets to me i i don't see them as a children's thing yeah i never mm-hmm. have um and given like the original pilot was called sex and violence for crying out loud and there was the snl sketches the land of gorge yeah. I have no idea what any of the jokes meant, but it existed. It was on a late show. So are you always surprised or you ever surprised when the critics are are like, no, that's too mature for the Muppets? I'm frustrated by it. I don't blame you. We get it less from critics and more from, that's the frustration that I was alluding to that Frank Oz feels like. That's what I feel often. And again, I was, I've been pushing since day one to make them back to Monty Python. Mm -hmm. And so I get it where I'm really frustrated is from even some, and very often from the puppeteers themselves, like, oh, that's a little edgy. I'm like, yes. <laughs> that's what they're for. <laughs> I mean, also, when I, I think a lot of them, because a lot of them work on Sesame Street, they kind of have that uh, yeah, the children's audience paradigm yeah. in their head. And they're like, oh, you know, they're beloved by children. I'm like, yeah, but if you look what we're up against in terms of what's considered family entertainment now with South Park and Family Guy and, you know, The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. We just keep, in my mind, shooting ourselves in the foot by making it, oh, let's, you know, especially when they say a kid wouldn't get it. I get it if it's some kind of sexual innuendo or, you know, but they're like, well, we don't do fart jokes. I'm like, okay, if we're going to cut out the the potty humor that kids love and you're going to cut out innuendo, like what's, and then they go, well, that's too weird. I'm like, all right, well, then why are we Mm. doing it with Muppets? Yeah. You know, let's and, and the Simpsons obviously goes for very intellectual, uh, esoteric, kind of hip, slightly sarcastic humor. Mm -hmm. And we can't do that. I mean, that's why I love Pepe. He's one of the guys I helped create in the writer's room, not as a designer. But he's he's a selfish little jerk. And Rizzo was kind of carrying that torch for a while. But they all tend to get really sweet over time. And I'm like, oh, man, it's just... We, I always said, we, when I started, we need our Daffy mm-hmm. Duck. We need somebody who's a completely narcissistic, selfish jerk for stories of nothing else. But also, if everyone's kind of a hippy-dippy singing Kumbaya, we all love each other. And, and you, know, you know, our quirks just mildly annoy us, but don't send us. I mean, Kirby used to scream at Piggy. And he used to scream at Fonny, you know, like, oh, what are you doing? You know, yeah. not scream angrily, but yeah. out of frustration. And that's, a lot of that's gone. And and with Pepe, you can do that because he is such a, a little tool. He's your common. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I'm never frustrated by critics get it. We did the Hollywood Bowl show and everyone's like, Where, where's this been? Like, this is the Muppets. Why are you not doing this every week? Yeah. And it was what I was saying. Why aren't we just doing the Muppet show again? But do it, pretend it's live, do it at the bowl and just yeah. film some stuff with the bowl with an audience for a week and then just, you know, shoot a season worth. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, there weren't, there's too many physical sets. That's why. The network's yeah. not paying for that. You know that. It's a blue screen you want 22 episodes yeah, exactly. now are we ever going to see a stage version of labyrinth and please can i direct it <laughs> or at least be be your co-director yes of course i'm going to ask you every week <laughs> I, I wasn't involved with labyrinth when i know it that came out. I, don't, I don't care you're at an avenue to the jim henson company I'm, I'm for the me. closest you'll That's get the yeah. closest i'm um, ever going to get sorry <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah sure you know considering i have no clout i say yes of course yes. you can yeah you can make it and and direct <laughs> it on your own i won't even impinge on your creative instincts it's all yours i've been dreaming of it since i was a child because it is it's, it's just it's one of those films yeah. it's it, very very jim henson and it, in a lot of ways it's poignant absolutely, absolutely. and it, it, it's crazy it's like that i it's so stimulating being your hat like just weird 
shit like that that I think you could yeah. have a lot of fun just fleshing it out as a proper musical. But as long as composers were chosen that keep with that flavor, none of this throwing in new songs that sound nothing like they mm. belong. They don't, don't right. belong at all. I think you would need to get someone like Nick Cave, I think, to, yeah. to carry Bowie's legacy. You couldn't get a Taylor Swift. Nick Cave and um, Kate Bush. Yeah, Kate Bush. The other one I was thinking was OK Go, because I think they're quite, and I know you worked with them. Um, yeah, yeah. Their music all sounds very similar to me. It's a very syncopated, I like it, but I mean, for Labyrinth, that would be a... Uh, huh. They would be able to, because they've got the creative instincts. You can see that in their videos. Yeah, Whether or not it does come through in their music, that's another matter. But I think challenge them to that. I think they would do pretty good. I'm just putting this I out mean, in the universe. I think Damien Kulash writes most of the music. So it's really, you know, yeah. uh, they all work on it with him. And and I don't know how they divide it. I, mean, I might maybe saying him something completely wrong, but I got the impression that he was sort of the head of the band. But I don't know. I might be wrong. I, I know two of them seem like they're there and they have fun, but they're not writing the music as much as playing it yeah. and, and contributing, obviously, as band members. Oh, Nick Cave and Kate Bush, if you're, you're listening yeah. to this, you won't be, but uh, <laughs> please get this contact Jim Henson company and get this off the ground. Uh, yeah, it'd be, it would not be Disney. It'd be the Jim Henson. And it would have to be a, a theatrical arm too at that. I'm guessing you're a fan of Avenue Q, knowing your sense of humor. Oh yeah, I love yes. it. Now, okay, obviously you've worked on all these major franchises as I've rubbed in many times. What are you, some of your favorite non-genre films, like drama? That I worked on or I've just seen? No, just anything that you love. Oh, okay. You always go back to that are not that are not franchise just one-offs uh going back to movies that really i just loved something about them that weren't you know it wasn't monsters or creatures mm -hmm. snow falling on cedars i really loved i thought that was like a poem oh, yeah uh an epically beautiful movie uh 98 was it yeah it was the late 90s um master and commander uh I mean, Citizen Kane really blew me away when I saw it the first time. It's not really a genre film. Um, Python, Holy Grail. I mean, that was a huge influence on me. Yeah. I love the uh, Jeanne and Caro movie, uh, City of Lost oh, Children and Del Delicatessen and City of Lost Children. I love City of Lost Children. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I, I make people watch it. I will sit there and go, watch this. Just watch it. Evan, yeah. you're going to love this then because behind my laptop in the drawer, I have the original PlayStation game of City <laughs> of the Lost Children. Oh, wow. It's terrible. Yeah. I've played maybe half an hour of, of it. I couldn't get far. And it's still sitting there with all my uh, PlayStation games or PlayStation 2 games. Told you the story the other day. I was going to to the arcade behind me is, is actually running Windows. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was look, doing research and Muppet Treasure Island came out as a PC game in 97 that's right but it was yeah. for windows yeah, 95 yeah. <laughs> now in order to get that to run i would then have to install windows 95 as a virtual machine yeah yeah, yeah. just to have that in the background and that was about four <laughs> hours of my time that i just did not have but that was the plan you can barely see it anyways but at least you got the steven spielberg movie 1942 <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Finally, that joke lands. I said that like four times already. This is that's never landed. <laughs> hey, Evan, do you have any questions? Because we won't keep Kirk any longer. Yeah, I did. I did have a quick couple. Um, now, so you jaunted off around the world and uh, went and directed the pilot for Lazy Town, and I think maybe the second episode as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and you kind of answered my other question earlier about how much input you have um, with the actual songwriting and the, the lyrics and the sort of the structure of the songs, which sounds like quite a fair bit. It depends on the project. On, on Lazy Town, if that's where you're going, not none at all. They they had a songwriter and there was working uh, a friend with uh, Magnus Saving who created the show, and and he uh, his name was uh, Snorri, <laughs> or his nickname was Snorri, and and he was just a one man uh, music machine cranking out these right. uh, songs. I just got you know here's what we're doing and here's the choreography and the puppeteer worked it out or or. Uh, Magnus and the girl, or, uh, you know, that, that they had a choreographer. So, and that was pretty much, I was just there to make it not look, it was really hard when we shot it. We couldn't, they, they were, it was one of the first 4K mm. high def things, or was it 1080 back then? Um, and we couldn't move the camera <laughs> at all. We couldn't pan or oh, anything. Really? They said you could yeah, do yeah. a slow doll. Yeah. Oh, it was very restrictive the first couple episodes. So, it was a really tough shoot and that it was hard to do. Yeah. And they only had like four terabytes of hard drive space and shooting 4K with all this. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> we had to go, okay, that's the take we're using. Dump everything else because we're going to go to the next scene. And and they told me that's how we have to do it. I'm like, okay, but your editor is going to be miserable because he literally won't have choices. Like, well, maybe, maybe two takes. I'm like, okay. I mean, I don't care. You tell me how you want me to do it. But uh, yeah, in terms of music, no influence or input oh, at all. Because basically the, que the question was, because um, watching uh, uh, Muppet Treasure Island and you've got the song You're a Professional Pirate and in episode 12 of season one of Lazy oh. Town, you've got You, you are, are a pirate. pirate. So every time I was hearing it on uh, Muppet Treasure Island, I'm getting, because my son was mad on Lazy Town, I'm getting You Are a Pirate stuck in my head and I'm going, hang on, there's this crossover here. You know, you've worked on both things. You do, you are involved in the music. Is, how did, is that just a massive coincidence or is there a few, uh, through line there? I, well, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there. I only shot the first two. Stefan, who was a, a dear friend of mine, who sadly has passed away, the guy who played Rotten Rotten. Yeah, he even called me and said, hey, we just, you know, we just did this pirate song and it made me think of Muppet Treasure Island. Um, but yeah, no, the, I, and I don't know, again, not involved, so I can't say. Yeah. But, you know, how many pi pirates, like, see, pirate sea shanties all kind of have similar roots anyway. Uh, so, yeah. They all say, yo, ho, ho, at some point. So we're going to put it down <laughs> yeah. as a huge coincidence. Yeah. So all you had is just the, the dolly shot back and forth. Yeah. And even then they said, well, you can't do too many. Oh, wow. Because the background <laughs> was supposed to be a live CG background. It was an incredibly, um, you know, mm. enormous undertaking for yeah. the time, really pushing the envelope, which was what was cool about it. But uh, the first, like, I think I did the first two and then I went off to do Muppet uh, Wizard of Oz. And I think by episode four or five, they were able to move the camera around. But when I, the first two I did, so please don't judge my directing. No, no, no. Just uh, for those at home, uh, a dolly shot or a Wally dolly uh, is the little mini train tracks that you will see a camera on and it will move around. And the dolly group is part of that. So you. It, and we couldn't pan. In other words, it was just a lock off, either going left or right or in and out. Yeah. They said I could do that, but not too many. So I think we had one shot. The other thing that was crazy. It's a technical thing, but we were shooting <laughs> um, a full frame sensor. And so what we're looking at on the monitors was not what the ultimate show, because they were still releasing it in 4.3, not 16.9. Yeah. So I had a yeah. scene where they were doing <laughs> athletics and we had this kid, one of the puppet kids doing uh, sit-ups with Robbie standing over. Oh no. You know, going one, two, one, two. Right. <laughs> And when they cropped it, it looked like the kid's head was just bobbing in his crotch. 
and and they came to me. They were furious. They're like, Magnus comes to me. He's like, dude, have you seen this? You need to come to editing immediately. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, and he shows me this. And I just started laughing. I said, well, I told you if I can't see what the final frame is, he goes, you have to have known. I said, no, look at the full frame. So they looked at it. You saw the kid from like the chest up doing, you know. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, doing setups. But the way it was framed, it looked like he was bobbing on Robbie's lap. And they were very angry. And I said, well, you could tilt frame down, you know, but then you cut Robbie's out. Anyway, it was it was it was a technical nightmare. And uh, and I'm, I'm glad I only did a couple because I know the people who worked on it. They just said it was it was very, very difficult. Yeah. Goodness gracious me. I, look, I've never seen it, but I know massively popular, but I guess. It was a fun show. I mean, it was great stuff. Uh, the music was really catchy and the very colorful and the puppet designs were fun. I, I liked the idea. It was just, it was it was completely mental uh, trying to make it on the budget and schedule they had with all the, mainly the technical um, boundaries they were pushing. That's all kids shows, I find. We had, um, like, they've got, a shorter amount of time to film so many more episodes than, yeah, yeah. than your normal show there is a lot more in terms of graphics and stuff like that the cast work twice as hard you know as, as say on yeah. a drama show or whatnot where they get to sit around their trailer for oh, yeah. a few hours at a time uh, any more questions evan just one other i did want to mention your other project i, I, I want to sort of want a, a bit of an update on where how it's going captain randy's submarine oh, on yeah. the rusty fun bucket um, did you think about keeping the orange beard? <laughs> well, when I was much younger, my beard was a lot more orange. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was, <laughs> it wasn't dyed. It was basically like a paste. You just kind of comb through it and made your beard oh, orange okay. for the day. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I, I don't think I'd keep it road cone orange for the rest of my life. But uh, what happened was COVID and my mom's passing oh, awesome. and then up at haunted mansion all kind of one 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 yeah. and so it's 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 on it's been on the back burner because i've been working and just dealing with life so hopefully uh it's funny you're like the third person who's asked me recently amongst friends what's happening with it i, I hope to get back to it this fall and and launch the kickstarter probably early spring of next yeah, year Yeah, i've seen uh you posted some photos you've you've you know you got your green screens up but this is at, at your home uh, some of it was in my home and most of it was in a friend's studio as a small studio space. And I got two or three friends to play characters in it. And, uh, I basically have like eight minutes of footage, like scenes cut together, but I'm trying to fill it out a little more. It's a fun idea. It's sort of like Pee Wee's Playhouse, but not for kids. Not that it's adult, but it's just not, you know, teaching about the letter A or anything. Yeah. Now you, you say a couple of friends, who are we talking? Anthony Hopkins, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Tony, Tony Hopkins. And, uh, Tommy, Tommy Hanks came yeah. over and we shot. No, it's good friends of mine who are actors and actresses, but not uh, yeah. not names that anyone yeah. would recognize. No, Sej Hines was one of them, and my dear friend Pam. No, I'm teasing. It's yesterday um, when I asked you about the Ninja Turtles, and you're like, "No, I was working with Jim on something else at the time." I was like, "Yep, oh, cool," and I walked away. Oh, I just you know. Jim, as in Jim Henson, like so casually spoken, like it was nothing. And I just walked away from it like it was nothing. Like the, <laughs> the, the people who, who inspired my creative impulses and my sense of humor and all that. Yep, yeah, no, nah, that was nothing. Just walked away from that. I'm like, yeah, sure, this is old hat now. <laughs> That's why I'm teasing because holy shit. Oh, and, you know, bring up Barry Sonnenfeld. You went to school with um joe johnson who directed the original captain america and jurassic park 3 which uh anyone who listens to this show knows how much i love 
dinosaurs and Jurassic Park and Hawaii and and all that like the legends that you guys are and thank you for coming on my show what an absolute honor oh thank you guys this was a blast um, it really really was and there is an open invite anytime you want to jump on and play team punk and and play the captain I'm more than happy to kick Evan out of the studio for the day uh, now where can people find you on the socials uh, well, Instagram, I think it's just all Kirk Thatcher or Kirk R. Thatcher. Yep. I've got a website, www.kirkrthatcher.com, all one word. And then Facebook, Kirk Thatcher, Kirk R. Thatcher. Captain Randy has a little uh, page, uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook all just under my name. I didn't do anything clever because yeah. it's hard enough to find me anyway. It's, you're very kind to say we're legendary, but it's just I'm a working schmo like everybody else. And uh, yeah. I, I want people to find me because, you know, I get interviews and jobs that way. <laughs> I actually had a, a job, a guy I worked with five years ago, couldn't find my email. So he, he hit me up on Twitter, just yeah. like you did today. Oh, wow. Can't find your email phone number. Uh, I found you on Twitter. Oh, wow. Fancy that. Yeah, no, that's how I'm getting all, all my guests. But no, I'm sorry, but you just kirked me. Good. Yep. Just like Jim. As I say, it's become old hat. I, I literally, like I walked away from it. It took me a few minutes for it to sink in. I'm like, that actually did just happen but yeah <laughs> well that's all that's due to jim jim was never mr henson or james or anything he was like yeah. oh, call me jim yeah. you know and it just became second nature i'm so tempted to do my comment the frog but i don't want to embarrass myself oh. and i sometimes pick up the phone going oh hey bert <laughs> <Like that. laughs> i don't know why hey buddy, oh, hey, bert. Hey, buddy bert. yeah the thing is everyone does the high kermit like no oh, i'm out of jail but, you know, Kermit was also, Jim's speaking voice was down yeah. here. And uh, a lot of times Kermit would be like, you know, sometimes, and he would get down there. And I think that's what most people who do him don't do that range. They're kind of like, hey, it's Kermit on the Muppet Show. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you, if you kind of do like you were doing, you get down there and then go up and down, yeah. you, you get more of Jim's Kermit. What's funny now is there's 30-year-olds who grew up with Steve Whitmire doing mm -hmm. Kermit, you know, and they're like, uh, you know, this guy doesn't sound like Kermit. I said, yeah, well, the guy you grew up with doesn't sound like Kermit. I mean the original yeah. permit so that's it now matt vogel has obviously taken over yeah um, he's doing a good job yeah. he's he's really a sweetheart and he's got the spirit of kermit down it's not a voiceover gig no you know? it's it's a whole it's, yeah it's a whole yes. thing no worries thank you very much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure thank you guys cheers thank you so much for coming next time i'm in oz it's your show yes definitely we'll, we'll chuck the barbecue on for you yes but no shrimps i didn't go there i didn't go there yeah not nah, neither do i here Anyways, huge thanks to my co-host Evan and to Kirk Thatcher for joining us, but also a huge thank you from the bottom of my heart to Tim Doyle for answering that original tweet of mine in search of who wrote that amazing pun. Anyways, thanks to you guys for listening. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, search up Thrash and Treasure. Sometimes it'll have a podcast at the end, most often not. Be sure to buy and read The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com. They're good books. I wrote them, so I would say that. Uh, they're probably really shit. You decide. Uh, next week, we're going to be joined by my favourite Australian performer, Bert Labonte. Holy shit, man, that is the voice that I have walked away from the theatre going, oh my god, that bitch. What? He's going to be on our show talking about the Book of Mormon, and we're going to do some metal album, which, quite frankly, I have forgotten by now. It was a couple of weeks ago, and I scrubbed that from my memory. 
Anyways, thanks for joining us, and we shall see you next tea time. Yo, thanks guys. Have a good Bye. one. Alright, while no one's here, I'll try it. Don't judge me. I'm Grimity Frog. I'm Grimity Frog. I'm Grimity Frog. Nah, I give up. I'm Grimity Frog. Oh fuck, I did it. Oh my god.